Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Cyber Security Recruiter Podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by Tara, who is the CEO, currently the CEO of CyberOne. How are you doing, Tara? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Good, no worries. Thank you for thank you for uh, joining me. Uh, I've done you a kind of very mini introduction there, Tara, but I could never do it as well as you. So if you can start off by telling me and the listeners who you are and what you've been up to, and I can, we'll, we'll go from there if you like. Absolutely. Yes, I am the current CEO of CyberOne. Been in this role for about 40 very fast and furious days. Super excited. Uh, I came about this role by way of being a co-founder of Critical Start, and we'll talk a little bit more later, I think, on how those two companies align. I started in the industrial controls industry and made my way into cybersecurity about 25 years ago, and it's been a fantastic journey. Cool. Very good. Very good. So, yeah, there's loads to unpack there, and I know from different conversations me and you have had on the Zoom or Google Meet off off air that there's there's been a bit of a backstory there's been for people listening there's been some serious fundraising some there was a 40 million fundraise and a 250 million dollar fundraise as well that Terra was directly and indirectly involved with but Terra I think it's I think it's easy for people to maybe look at where you are now or anyone in your position now and say maybe it's all right for them or god it looks great now but I know from speaking to people in my client base and company owners that it's never straightforward. There's a reason why everyone doesn't do it, but can you perhaps tell us about some of the tougher times and a bit more of the backstory about, about, about the different ventures that you've been on? I absolutely can. And you're hundred percent right about that. It all looks easy from the outside, but it definitely is not. Uh, myself and the other co-founder of Critical Start, that idea was hatched back in August of 2011. We've launched the company in January of 2012. And in doing so, we were very fortunate at the time to already have had our house paid off and we refinanced it to bootstrap a company. At the time, I was a stay-at-home mom for eight years and it's not weird. It just is what it is. Myself and the co-founder of Critical Start were married at the time and I stayed home for eight years. So when he came home and had this great idea to start a company and quit working, I had to try to remind him of the person who brought in the income. So there were a lot of changes that we went through and it was an 18 month period of time that we went through doing the robbing Peter to pay Paul act of taking money out of our personal savings to pay off vendors, waiting for that payment to come in because we were very staunch on being on time with our vendors and our distributors so that we could build ourselves up with, a, with an appropriate line of credit and be on time payers. So that became a little bit touch and go for a while until about the 18 month mark. But we were very fortunate. We hit the market at a time that I think was unique. And we are based in the Dallas area. We had a couple of competitors in the space that merged and their merger was a bit tumultuous and unbeknownst to us, it allowed us to come in and capitalize on their troubles, if you will. Okay. And so we were just fortunate. Our timing was very good. And I don't want to take away from the idea behind how we were founded. So it takes both. It takes a ton of effort. It takes a really good idea. It takes some funding and it takes a lot of patience. And we just entered and had all of those things aligned for us. And here we are today. Yeah, yeah, no. But, and do you know what? I think I said, I was just, you covered it there, but I was going to say, I think you're being very modest because it's never just, it's never just luck. You maybe need a bit of it. But yeah, it's like you say, I know from speaking to, to, to many business owners, just from a day job as a recruiter, how tough things can be. And I know, I, I would imagine that cash flow thing at the start is really tough because I know from any kind of big company we deal with, it's like, sometimes even 90-day payment terms or 60-day payment terms. And at the start, that, yeah. I can imagine that makes a big difference. <laughs> it does, and we weren't getting yeah. any of that. We were trying to make sure we paid everybody net 30 and raise your hand if you have a customer who pays you in net 30. Good luck with that. It was definitely a juggling act in the beginning. Yeah, yeah okay, very good. And, uh, yeah, so in the in the early days, Terrell, did you make any mistakes along the way? 
what were those mistakes made if you did make any? And if I'm, maybe I'm a contractor, maybe I'm a cybersecurity engineer as a contractor who's thinking about setting up his or her own business, or maybe I've just started my own business or I'm just thinking about it, or maybe I'm quite far in and I'm having some struggles. So I suppose the question is, what mistakes did you make and what can the listeners learn from those? Sure. We made a ton of mistakes, to be honest with you. That's interesting enough, and I still have it. We in August of 2011, we laid out our plan on a white paper napkin because I was adamant that nobody starts without a white paper napkin drawing of their vision. And within probably six months, it looked nothing like that after we started. So we made a lot of mistakes. We made some mistakes in hiring, thinking that we could gain traction in certain areas that we then realized very quickly we could not. We made some mistakes in hiring, thinking people could build out something that really need to have a large organization behind them to help them propel their ideas. And we weren't that, right? As a startup with five, six, 10 people, everybody has to be able to do their own share of the work and then some. And you underestimate that not everybody has that mindset. So one of the things that I would say to people who are looking at this is fail fast. If you realize that you're going down a path and it's not working, don't be afraid to stop in your tracks and divert to another area. That's okay. It's better to do that than to continue to pour in resources, time, talent, everything else in a direction that you know isn't going to end up where you need to be. So don't be afraid to fail fast. I think that's a huge component for people. Okay. Okay, cool. Would you say almost niching down within within the space like i've got certain clients that just do pen testing i've got other clients that will do everything cloud related security network architecture and pen testing so do you think at the start it's maybe best as long as the demand is massively there do you think it's best to go niche within a niche then and really master what you're doing i think it depends on what you're doing so for us we started off trying to be having a different view as a reseller and a consulting services provider. So yes, on the services side, I would say is where we failed fast, realizing this is or isn't a service that we should stand behind and pivoting quickly from that. From a product perspective, from a resale perspective, it was a little bit different. You can slightly more easily tell the right people to latch onto. And we were in a space where there were plenty of unicorns for us to latch on to. We had success from building really good relationships with people in the beginning. But I would just say for others, if you have a single thing that you're really good at, yes, stay in line with that and make yourself really spectacular in that area before you try to expand into areas that you don't know as well. Keep mm, your focus okay. where your knowledge is. You know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And I'd imagine that reseller element, I would imagine leveraging your own sales background helped at that stage as well. It did. Interesting <laughs> enough. Yeah. I've been in sales my whole career, starting <laughs> off selling industrial controls equipment, which is funny. And most people don't know that because I've been in cybersecurity for so long, but now we have the convergence of the OT, IOT, insert your acronym OT. And it's been interesting to match my old world with my new world in that regard yeah yeah i think that sales element i just think it's huge because whether you're selling a product or a service to your end client or whether you're selling the opportunity if you're hiring people or you're talking about the vision for the company or if you're raising money essentially without even realizing we're probably all constantly selling really and it's important isn't it it really is it's funny that you say that about when you're hiring because When we spun out, and I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point, as a separate entity and myself and our VP of operations were hiring for an additional person on his team, the person that we ultimately hired, I remember her saying, you guys seem so excited about working here. It makes me want to work here. So yes, you're always selling, even when you're interviewing. You should be so passionate about what you're doing that it comes across as selling no matter what. Yeah, no, definitely. It's one of the things we, when we get approached quite a bit for on the client side, because of a lot of it, some of what I do on LinkedIn and we've been around for a while and stuff like that. And if we're talking to a hiring manager and they are just not excited at all about 
where they're working, that is a massive red flag for us as a recruitment agency. Sure. <laughs> Especially in a market like cybersecurity where the best of the best are always in demand. So yeah, it's a complete, yeah, complete and utter fact. If, if, if you're not passionate about the opportunity, then you probably struggle to get people coming through the door excited about it as well. So yeah, no, in, in full agreement. You mentioned when we talked about five minutes ago about what are key components of setting up a successful business for someone thinking about starting or someone that's just started. One of the things you mentioned was funding. And I know we laughed when we were speaking about it off, off air the other day because you were like casually mentioned that you raised 40 mil and then you casually raised, there was another round of funding where it was 215 million and I was laughing because I was like, wow, and you just casually just just mentioned it. But I know some of that you were more directly involved than others. We've just spoke about that before we started, but can you talk me through why funding is important, what it allows you to do? how it changed the business. I presume there's rules and parameters around what you do. I presume you and your business partners didn't all go out and buy Ferraris and Lamborghinis the day the money came in. Kind no, that of set, nice. set, a set way of a set way of doing things. Sure. Yes. So it's interesting to bring that up and I do remember that conversation. And when you mentioned that I was like, oh I didn't realize that I talked about it flippantly, but <laughs> it's something We were 100% self-funded and employee-owned, and we did that. We were fortunate enough to be successful from a profitability standpoint from, I don't want to say day one. We never had to go seek out any funding externally to help us along. And what happened is about three years in, we started a second concept that became a software development company. We provided the resources, the human capital, if you will, for that software development company. When we knew we wanted to expand upon that exponentially, we had to seek out funding because headcount is very expensive. And when you look to hire several dozen headcount that are non-revenue generating, you have to seek outside funding if you wanna do that quickly. If you wanna do that organically over time and take five years to build it out, that's fine. But when you're trying to capitalize on a particular space in the market, you don't have that time on your side. That's what led us to seek out that original round of funding. And we we sought out and succeeded in a $40 million round of funding that we then used. We combined the two companies together at that time. We then used that to hire out and build out a security operations center to back end that software development company that became the foundation for what is now Critical Start's managed detection and response product. Okay. Okay, cool. So basically just allows you to do things way quicker, allows you to capital on the space before or at the same time as your competition, doesn't let as many people beat you to the beat you to the market share. I imagine as well, by the way, it's way more fun and way more stimulating. <laughs> It's a lot different, but to your point that you made earlier, it changes the game a lot. So you have additional meetings, you now have someone else on your board of directors that's an external individual who has a very large stake in making sure that you're successful. So it's good and bad. You're no longer in charge of all the decisions you make, which is interesting. But someone who's investing $40 million clearly wants to be able to make some decisions along the way. But at the same time, you have the ability to take that money and utilize it for the growth that it was intended for. And if you meet up with the right investor, that all works out beautifully. Where I see people have struggles is when there's a lot of different types of investment, right? There's majority investment, there's minority investment, there's private equity. If you invest with somebody who wants to and should have a seat at the table and something to say about it, you need to really make sure that they're aligned with your ideals and what you want to do. It's when people take on funding from a private equity firm who just wants to invest the money and either says they're going to be silent or says they want to have their seat at the table, but they don't really understand your business. That's really difficult. So I think it's super important for people to understand when you're looking to do that, make sure the people that you're investing with understand and align with your business goals and ideals moving forward yeah yeah okay so yeah essentially core beliefs and core values need to be aligned yeah or you're going to run into difficulty what would you advise then Tara would you advise looking at investors that have got a track record in investing in probably cyber security 
hundred percent. And that kind of parlays into the second investment that came about for Critical Start, the $215 million round that they took. And I say they, we were all part of the same organization at the time, but my brain has now been trained to say they, but that's a, that's an investment vehicle that certainly has a huge successful track record in the cybersecurity space. At that stage, you wouldn't want anything other than that. You'd be stifling yourself more than enabling yourself yeah. if you went with somebody who wasn't from that field. Yeah, I can imagine. And to be fair, I can imagine in the in the cybersecurity space, you know how small the community is. Kind of everyone yes. knows someone and stuff like that. Even in, in in Europe, it feels tiny. Even as vast as America is, even across America, it's amazing how many times someone knows someone on the West Coast or the East Coast, vice versa. So I'd imagine it's probably not too hard to make sure that someone is what they say they are. <laughs> That's true. Back channeling is pretty easy to do. It's funny that you say that, my yeah. poor children, that it's a blessing and a curse to go out with their mom. Their favorite <laughs> thing is to say, I'm someone everywhere we go. And certainly I have friendships and acquaintances from all different aspects of my life, but a huge number of them come from this cybersecurity space. It's equal parts of very vast space and a very tiny space altogether. So yeah, you can always track yourself back to somebody else who knows somebody and figure okay. out the right thing right away. So if I'm if I'm just listening now and I'm really wanting to raise some money, and I can't remember Tara, whether you said you got approached or you proactively went out and searched for the money, but perhaps you can fill us in on that. But if I'm sat here now as a business owner and I'm wanting to raise ASAP, is there any advice if you're doing it proactive if you're doing it proactively and you're not getting approached by, by by investors? Sure. So the first round of funding that we took on, we we were seeking it. So okay. we utilized a firm. That's what they do. They help package you up to be loaded into let's just call it a portal where different mm. investments can look at your information and decide if they're interested or not like a brokerage in that regard right so okay if you're interested in taking on funding and you don't already have contacts in that realm going back to the fact that we're all interrelated oftentimes i have several contacts in the vc world but if you don't and you want to take on funding for a variety of reasons, I would say, yes, seek out a broker that can help you tee that up because they know what they're doing and it's well worth the investment. Okay, cool. And are they literally called investment brokers? Is that what they're they're called? This was a law firm, but they have a group that specializes in that type of thing. Okay. Okay, cool. That must have been, you know what, for the first one, because I was thinking the second time, I bet it was easy because you've got a track record. You've taken a lot of money before it's gone. But yes and no. (laughs) Yeah. But imagine the difference between 40 million and 215 million. And there's a little bit different size probe that's being used to investigate what people are investing in. So the first time around was simpler in that regard. It's a smaller amount of money, not to lessen the impact that it was on both the organization and the pocketbook of the investment firm. But certainly those are just different amounts of money. And the second time around, it's interesting because it went faster than anyone would have expected. We spun out as a wholly owned subsidiary in November of 21 and became our own entity in May of 22. So you look at November of 21 to May of 22 to take on a $215 million round is very fast. But the reason for Mm. that is that investment firm had already been a good chunk of the way down the line, looking at Critical Start, they ended up funding something else. So when they received an additional amount of money to go invest again, they had already done a fair amount of the due diligence. Otherwise, that due diligence process is intense and it can take a long time. Try to keep your eye on the ball and keep doing business as usual, even though you say it as a leader every day. Everyone business as usual. It's very difficult to do that because you're spending an intense amount of time on some of this due diligence work. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine these guys and girls don't mess around. They want to know everything. 100%. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. And also as well, just because this particular area fascinates me and I want the pod to help not just, I do loads on the four actual candidates, cyber, cyber professionals, but I know 
business leaders listen and I want to do more to to help them as well. Yeah, so they're not going to leave any they're not going to leave any stone unturned. Go to For a brokerage. Sure. Any idea on what would be would you I suppose you'd maybe f- approach two or three to maybe get competitive. I'm imagining these brokers take a percentage of the total raise or something like that absolutely absolutely there's a fee involved for that but i think it's well worth it it'd be like i don't know akin to on a very different level but akin to for sale by owner versus using a realtor to help sell your home you get a whole level of exposure and there's a fee associated with that for sure yeah and like i say you can focus more on your core daily activities rather than having to get too far away from the business absolutely okay Okay, cool. You've done loads on funded. Thanks, because that bit interests me loads as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so gender balance. So, despite my effort, I'm not doing too bad because you are the third, fourth female guest that I've had, and I'm doing okay. But despite my efforts to get like pure gender balance on the podcast, I haven't been able to do it. Let's talk about that third or fourth female yeah. out of how many guests. I feel like that's a relevant uh, part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, good, good, true, actually, good. Hang on, how many guys? I should know this, but I don't, I don't. But it's definitely not a 50-50 split, put it that way. Sure, 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 never is, never is, it's okay. But, uh, but yeah, I think I said to you before, I've got various female role models in my personal life. I do think we need to be doing more within the space to get more gender balance. I suppose my question is, what advice do you have for female listeners? I remember from when we spoke before, you said it was like even worse back when you started. It was like, it was just like crazy that you were a female in the the space. I think things have got better, but I still think there's loads more we can do. But I think the first part of the question is what advice have you got for females in the infosex space at the minute? So it's interesting that you say that. And you and I talked about this, but I started in the industrial control space. And to your point, yes, that was even more male dominated than this is, although that was over 25 years ago. But I remember very well walking in to wait for my contact and being in the lobby and seeing straight down the hallway, the break room and a line of men just literally looking down like they'd never seen a female before. And I'm all 23 years old going, oh, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> Cybersecurity, when I broke into it, was called networking security. That's how old I am. I could even draw a network diagram back then. And the company that I first went to work for, I would tell you had three I was the third woman in outside sales. We had two in inside sales. We had, I started in an atmosphere where it didn't feel like I was the only female there. And then moving into having my own business, I remember very vividly, not hiring, but ultimately hiring, but interviewing a young woman who was coming from a tangential industry, I'm going to say, because she was recruited for the industry, but that's very different than selling in the industry. And she was wanting to get into this as an outside salesperson. And I remember telling her, it's very much to your advantage to be an attractive female in this industry, but don't forget that you also need to know what you're talking about, right? So just being an attractive female and trying to sell on that alone will get you a ton of lunch meetings and potentially some time in front of the client, but it's not going to get you. The POs come because you know what you're doing and you can show that you have value and you understand how to bring them the right solutions and the right resources. So don't let one outweigh the other. I think that's a very important thing from a sales perspective in this business. If you're not on the sales side of the house, the other thing I would say is just don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe in and don't be afraid to show the knowledge that you have. Most of the time when I'm in a meeting that has several males and a couple of females, the males want to hear what we have to say. But oftentimes the females are afraid to voice their opinions. Don't be afraid to do that. Everyone's just a person. Look around the room and everyone's just a person. Take the gender bias out of it and just be who you are. Be authentic and know and own your stuff. And whether it's gender balance or any for any form of balance, I think it's vital mm-hmm. because everyone has a different way of thinking. If I think about it for from sure. a hacking perspective or an ethical hacking perspective, you've probably got a different way. You'd go into a network and then vice versa. So, yeah, it's, I think having that balance, not only in, from a fairness perspective, but actually from a 
just doing a better providing a better service and doing things properly perspective as well i think it's i think it's important as well so just yeah. to summarize there as well Tara, so really any females listening should really think of don't think of it as a negative that it's a male dominated industry just make sure providing you on point and your stuff look at it as a massive unfair advantage yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> um, yes yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you know what? I've seen it on, I know like from LinkedIn and stuff like that. I know any female pen testers or cybersecurity engineers. I know any of them that pushed a post really hard and really pushed a content thing hard. I do notice them doing really well and having a lot of followers because I post between like one and four times most days and I've got my followers up to a certain point, but I look at some of them and they are really high. You might be onto, might be really onto something there. Do we need to compare followers at this point? I don't know. <laughs> I'm competitive. I'm a recruiter. We're all competitive. <laughs> yeah, but cool. So in a nutshell, really know your stuff and look at it as a as a real positive. Yes. As we carry on uh, gender balance, I know you're involved and host a women in tech event we can post stuff in the show notes when we release this episode but absolutely what can the yeah what can what, where can the listeners find that how can they expect to be helped by the event and things like that so the good news bad news is it is in person and so we host it here in our plano headquarters and i've been hosting it since 2018 again that was part of critical start not cyber one initially but we brought it with us as cyber one so we host it bi-monthly we used to do quarterly and Frankly, it was successful enough that the audience that came regularly said this isn't often enough, but we decided monthly might be a bit too much. So we do bi-monthly and we support a local cause to uh, help get women and children out of this human sex trafficking industry right here in North Texas, which is shocking to me, but it's true. It's everywhere. So that's part of what we do as the giving back. And then what I have is typically I have a vendor sponsor it, but not in order to talk about their product, but to have someone from their organization, a female that talks about their journey in this industry. It's been very helpful and empowering to have other women tell their story about how they started, how they got here and the challenges that they've had along the way. It just has built upon itself. Yes. Is that kind of mode for that? It's been very good. I think I know from my own experience of listening to recruitment podcast, it's so vital to have people to role models, to model yourself yes. on. I know some people find it a bit cheesy, but Tony Robbins always says, be acutely aware of who you're modeling yourself on. So if you haven't got anyone yeah. to to do that, then uh, that's always difficult. And so I even invite to- young college girls to come as well, because I think it's important for them to hear this stuff as they try to build out their mm-hmm. career path. And the last meeting we had was a little bit different. And then a f- good friend of mine who is a psychologist, she came in and spoke to us about work-life balance as a, a mom and a business owner and all of these different things that are just different. They're just different. It's not good or bad, but we're certainly different than the men that we are with. And mm-hmm. We had a young woman in here who is now, so this was over the summer, she was entering her senior year of high school, and she wrote and illustrated a book for young kids about cyber called uh, Cyber Hero. And I just thought, what a great thing to show. Here she is, a young kid who just had an idea and took it so far as to create a book and illustrate it and write it herself. So even somebody as young as 16 years old can provide yeah. role model. Yeah, wicked. So that book's available on, is that available kind of on Amazon and places like that? It, is, it that? is on Amazon. And as I say that, I'm like, I think that's the name of it. I want to make sure I get it right. But yeah, she has it on <laughs> no. Amazon. So we provided it for everybody and she signed it. It was very fantastic. No. But it's Dev the Cyber Hero. Arushi Singh is her name. Lovely young woman. Should be a role. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Wicked. And like I say, we'll get it all in the the show notes. Cool. Just a quick last thing on on gender balance. You mentioned that interview you did about five, ten minutes ago. You mentioned that interview you did years ago. Was was the company quite well established or was the headcount quite high? And I think what I'm getting at here is just my kind of logical way of thinking is if people are – serious about generating gender balance in their industry in their own businesses i'm thinking if you do it from the start it's 10 times easier if you build a business and it's 100 headcount and there's 
three or four women in there, I think it's going to be extremely hard to change things once you're that far down the line. But if you do it from the start, I'd imagine it's easy. So I was just interested to know that interview you conducted, was that late down the line? Was the headcount pretty high? What was the situation there? No, headcount was not very high. She came to us by way of someone that, you know, the co-founder and myself knew very well in the industry who has a knack for connecting people. So we were willing to talk to her because of that. But no, she's been here nine years, I think, for a company that started in 2012. No, she was early on. And it's interesting that you say that because we've built ourselves on a foundation of hiring the right person for the job, period. And just by doing so, we are quite diverse in race, ethnicity, gender, all of the things. It's shocking how just trying to hire the right person for the job can get you there naturally. But there was a time early on where we were knocking on the door of 50-50 women to men just by nature of hiring who we thought was the right person for the job. It was very interesting. Yeah, no, no, it's good. Memories, right? I got the Facebook memory popping up saying, <laughs> we almost outnumber the men. Like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> it's, it's a really big thing. One of the things, we don't do it yet, but one of the things we're looking at as an agency is an employer branding service. So it's just interesting for me to hear because I, I do think it's doable later on, but I think it's harder and I think assistance is probably needed for companies because I think when you get laid down the line, if you haven't given it any thought, I think it gets it gets challenging. What's that? What's this? You just that's the link to the invitation for the women in tech that's coming up September twenty. Oh, wicked! Okay, yeah, we'll definitely get that. that Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? Do you know what? I've not posted yet today, and it gets really hard to post every day. So you've just given me my inspiration for today. Need some content. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that sort of. Text in the mail. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Um, Cyber One um, is the current business that you're in charge of, you're running, you're the CEO. Can you give me and the listeners a bit more of an insight into what the business does and the problems that it's solving within cybersecurity? Sure. So we are a value-added reseller and consulting services provider. So our goal is to become a trusted advisor to our clients. And I hate that overused term, but there's really no other way to express it. And we do that because we really come in from a different perspective. We use something that we created many years ago and boiled down to what we call SecCon levels. And we try to help customers see and understand where they are from a risk tolerance perspective and where they want to be and help them create a plan to close that gap. It's more than just selling a product or delivering a service. It's creating a relationship in which they trust you enough to let you see that information about the company and then help you build out, help you help them build out a plan to get to where they want to be. So we're really focused on reducing the customer's risk tolerance in a world where cyber doesn't take a break. It's so interesting. You and I talked about this before with the pandemic, but We are not an industry that doesn't see economic headwinds, but hackers, which are the root of what creates the industry that we're in, they don't take a break for that stuff. They don't care. So you can't, as an organization, not do anything. It just changes the landscape of what you might do. And that brings us to the point that we talked about before, too, with this difference of a platform approach for a customer versus a best of breed approach where they try to reduce their spend overall, but realizing that they can't not have the security tools in place. Again, our goal as an organization is to help our customers reduce their overall risk, protect their brand, and not be hacked by the bad guys, really, at the bottom, the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, cool. And I think from what you're saying as well, it's doing just, I think the phrase you use of, you used was not just selling, not just, just selling your service, you're doing a oh. bit more, you're adding more value, you're doing something above and beyond. And I think these days, I know from a recruitment perspective, for me, I can't just be another guy on the block because there's too many people doing it these days. You've got to have that USP and you. I feel like you've got to be a bit obsessive and a bit going above and beyond, which kind of sounds as like what you were describing there. Would that be fair? It would be, for sure, because there's a ton of other people in our space that are just out selling products or just out providing a service. I'll tell you from the beginning, 
we had the mindset of helping a customer be more secure today than they were yesterday. And that's not always because you bought an additional product or even bought a service. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it might be just us advising them on certain security controls to put in place. That's a free thing to do. You just didn't know you needed to do it. So we were founded under the concept of, again, being more secure today than you were yesterday. And that may or may not be buying an additional tool. And I think I told you this before, but in the early days, so here we are, a startup where every dollar counts. And the CEO at the time became infamous, if you will, for telling a customer not to buy a particular product that the customer really wanted. And we frankly could use those dollars, but I think it came back tenfold. And his answer was simply, I want you to be pissed off at me six months from now because you bought a product that you don't have the people to deploy. And now what? Now you just have another tool sitting on your shelf. So that's our focus is to make sure you're not just buying additional tools that end up on your shelf, but how can you really measurably improve your security posture over time? And you know what? That's a theme I've seen across the, across doing this podcast. It's given me learnings that I didn't even expect I was going to get. I was doing it to try and help the community. But when I hear you've mentioned there about taking that long-term approach, anyone I know who is running a InfoSec business right now, who's done really well, been really successful, really busy. It's all taking that that long-term approach was exactly what you've described there. Yes. It's not always the case. So yeah. It's the, it, it very <laughs> often isn't. Most people are focused on short-term profits and not long-term goals. Yeah, yeah. But I think you receive back far more if you can focus on those long-term goals and align yourself with the customer. That's what you want. I remember in college, I had a very interesting degree, industrial distribution, which wasn't very well known at the time. But one of the things that we learned from was a book by Sewell, who's a very famous car dealership up here in this area now. But his focus was, it was called the customer-driven, customer-driven life, I think, or customers for life. But his concept was, the customer is always right and do what's right by the customer all the time and it will pay off in dividends. And that's really so true. Now, what I talked about in my leadership meeting on Monday as the CEO is yes, you want to do what's right for the customer all the time, but you also need to understand and incorporate the goals and the values of your company and not do anything that's to the detriment of the company in doing so, because sometimes that can happen. But for the most part, I think if you approach a situation like the customer is always right, you end up with the right result. A lot of times we want to turn on the, they're so stupid, they don't know what they're talking about, they really need our help. But if you approach it differently, you can come at it from a different side and just have a different viewpoint of it, right? And understand where they're coming from. They're coming from a place where they've got a board of directors who knows less than they do about this topic coming to them, making demands. And so they're frustrated and they're concerned and they don't have the budget. So just a mindset. It's not that hard. Yeah. And I think because having some core values and core beliefs essential, because if then if someone that comes in that can make a quick book walks through the door, it's not even, there's nothing to think about if they're not aligned with your core values and core beliefs. So it's just, it's not even a conversation. It's just, I think having those beliefs set in stone in the first place makes hiring easier, makes decisions easier as well, I would say. That's true. That's true. Cool. You mentioned before, Tara, a while ago, and I skipped over it a bit, but I just want to talk about it because I think in today's world, everything is so instantaneous, especially with social media. You talked about a whole lot of patience. How long from opening the door, so to speak, to making nice profit? And I know nice profit is probably a little bit subjective, different for everyone, but how long is it from really starting to dial things up and get going from when the door opens? What, what are the timelines looking, would you say? For us, it was a good 18 months. Okay. And we were really hitting the tipping point of, does this turn in a direction that we don't have to keep funding it ourselves towards funding itself? And it took 18 months. And I think, frankly, that's a short period of time. And I, so it's so interesting. I, we were very fortunate and had budgeted and done well. We had paid off our home at the time, and we were looking at another home. And it's so funny we were having the conversation with the realtor, believe it or not. And she said, this is a beautiful place. If I were you, I would just sit here and take it all in. And little did we know that a few months later, we would decide to start this venture. And so here we had this paid for piece of real estate that we could 
refinance to get more cash to run this business. And we couldn't have done that otherwise. So mm. cash is king when you're starting a business. You need to have probably twice as much cash as you think when you're starting a business. Again, that goes back to the being willing to fail fast. You can do that if you have the cash to back that up. You've hired someone, people are expensive. You've hired a $125 or $200,000 resource and it doesn't work out three months from now. You have to be in a position from a cash flow perspective or cash on hand perspective that you're willing to let that go because you realize that's not taking you in the direction that you need to be. And we were in that position. Yeah. Okay. And do you know what, Terry? You said 18 months and that does sound quick, but if I say it like expect to work 18 months for free, in fact, not for um, free, to no. pay. <laughs> Sorry, yes. to pay yes. to pay for the pleasure to work for 18 months. And that's if you hit it at the right time. And work um, 18 months for about 12, 18 hours a day. And you don't necessarily get to pick what hours of the day those are and all of those things. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Cool. I cool. think we soured again, as I said, it's not weird. It just is what it is. But that was my husband at the time. And I think we've soured our children who are now 16 and 19 on the idea of entrepreneurship because they're like, I don't want any part of that crap. That's looked that looked terrible. <laughs> Hard work. You're working every hour that you can find throughout the day and you're doing multiple jobs because hiring non-revenue generating people is the last thing on your list in the beginning yeah. other than having a couple yeah. of salespeople because sales drive the business. And just another point I want to make about you, there's a little saying that I love and it ties in quite well with you talking about having a long-term approach about your net worth, is, sorry, your net worth is your network. And I really like that. It's a saying that's often used in, in recruitment. And I think it's so true. And it rolls quite nicely with what you're saying about having that long-term approach and that car dealer using the customer for life. He's obviously basically saying his net worth is his net worth. So yeah, no, it's all, all, ties, in, all ties in quite nicely. And I think as well about saying, I always feel so fortunate to be in cybersecurity. I've got some friends in hospitality that own bars and restaurants, and they're now trying to convert them into hotels and stuff to get the recurring revenue because the bar, the money just isn't in the bar and restaurant industry anymore. And habits have habits have changed. I obviously work the US market from a recruitment standpoint, but I spend the bulk of my time in the UK and bars and restaurants that were busy pre-COVID, just despite the restrictions all being lifted now in the UK, they're just not busy. I think people's habits have just 100%. changed. If you weren't <laughs> in that business and pivoted to being able to offer delivery and takeout and just as good a quality as you provided with in-house dining, it's changed tremendously. Now, that mm. being said, I'm in Texas and we're, as I told you before, we were like, yeah, I think it's okay for us to stop doing this. So we're in a little bit different position than some other parts of the country. But yes, I totally get that and see that still when I travel. Okay, so I know at the minute uh, from conversations we've had, you're expanding, you're recruiting. What One question I, want, I wanted to ask, because I know from, I get a real, I get really good visibility on it because certain clients that we've got, I've stopped hiring. Some are still hiring what I would say quite aggressively, and some are just somewhere in the middle. What do you think? I know, let's say, you're pushing forward and hiring. What do you think that reason is? Why do you think some companies are maybe struggling in this market and some aren't? Do you any ideas on that one? So it just depends on your cash flow position, period. And so okay. we're a smaller organization. We can be a bit more nimble. If you're a larger company, or certainly if you're a public company and you're having to report on all sorts of things that we don't have to report on, you have to start cutting in different places because you can't continue to report on a loss. We are in a good financial position to begin with, but certainly if we move things around, there's nobody here telling us we can't do that. So what we know is that we are in a position right now to capitalize on a unique amount of momentum. And because we have cash on hand to do, that's the right way for us to spend that to grow the business. John, that makes so much sense because any clients we've got that are what I would consider almost like big tech, like big companies, they're the ones that we're not doing much with at the minute. Whereas the companies that are mid-size or small, they're the ones that we're doing a lot of business with. So yeah, mm -hmm. makes makes sense. So you're able to take more of a long-term approach, whereas maybe some some of the big tech maybe just haven't got a choice. They just have yeah, to. And it depends on what you do. Check. If you're a product vendor, it's completely different because you can easily get yourself in a position during when during times being good 
to overhire. And so when times are like they are now, you have to try to make selective cuts to increase your profitability. Whereas for us, we're in a unique position that we know that adding salespeople to a company that is sales driven is the right thing to do. So how can we make that happen at this time for the business and do the right thing for our customers as well as for our company, the bottom line? Yeah. Yeah, cool. There was a, there's a joke, by the way, going around in the recruitment industry. So Amazon have started hiring internal recruiters again. So it's like a joke going around. Oh, everything's going to be booming again in a few months. Because if Amazon are hiring recruiters, then everyone will start doing it. So everyone <laughs> everyone just copies them. That's how that's how the tech yeah. crash started at the start of the, at the, at the year. We'll see if there's any truth to it. But that's the joke going around at the minute. All right, so our next, next question, which books or podcasts have you had on or read recently that have had the most positive, not doesn't have to be recent, it could be any time in your career, have had the, the biggest impact in a positive way on your career? So a couple of things. One, I'm just going to be honest and say I'm not an avid reader. I'm more of a podcast listener and I love murder podcasts. So those don't really help me from a business perspective. However, Many years ago, I read a book that's very common knowledge now called Who Moved My Cheese? I think that's a fantastic book for people to read and understand because you have to be able to adapt and change and nobody inherently likes change. So that sort of helps you understand why it's important and how to adapt to it. And then secondly, I'm involved in an organization that is worldwide. It's called Vistage and I'm in one of their key executive groups and that group has been more helpful to me than any of those things because you have a group of people who come together with a variety of backgrounds but similar problems to solve and it's been very advantageous for me to be a part of that group. Yeah, brilliant. I I think that last point you've made is absolutely huge. There's a book that I've read called... It'll come back to me in a minute, Terry. It escapes me. But the point I'm making is it says that your success levels will be the average of your five people that you're closest to. And that's tying in with what you've said there. So I think surrounding yourself with the right people, I think I think the community things, I think since remote working as well, these online uh, communities, I joined one for recruiters recently and it's like loads of people all around the world that are running recruitment agencies and it is it's so helpful if you've got a little question you want to ask or you're just looking for a kind of a bit of a pickup in general maybe you've had a bad day so i think those online communities are yeah i think they're i think they're huge and the thing is these days that there is a lot of it and i think rightly because let's say since remote working i know I speak to people all day, but I spend a lot of time on my own. So I think you need, it's not like the old days where you'd be I'm in the office. I'm laughing at you, I'm laughing with you. <laughs> no, it's fine. Let's say in the old days, and I think we might have talked about this a, a bit before when we spoke a couple of weeks back, but in the old days in recruitment, it was very much you'd be down the pub at lunchtime, maybe looking for a pint and, and a bit of lunch and this, that and the other. And yes, the commute's gone and all that, but there's this kind of these bits about the, I wouldn't change remote working, but from my perspective, but there's bits about it that I do miss. You miss a lot of that camaraderie and a lot of that kind of learning through osmosis and stuff like that. So yeah, that community stuff is really important. Um, It is. And we've come to a place where we're very much a hybrid workforce environment, certainly for our organization, but I think that's common and spreading more and more throughout the entire U.S., but certainly common here in the South. And what I notice in doing so is... Yes, everyone can perform their job and their duties remote. That is not an issue. But what you miss is the cross-pollination of ideas and the different organizations and the different departments within the organization getting together and sharing ideas. So I'm in the office every day. I'm not going to lie. I have a six-minute commute if I catch the long stoplight. So I'm very fortunate (laughs) in that regard. But on days when certain other members are here in the office or certainly certain other executives, there are times when you just walk by and you have a quick conversation with someone that you never would have turned into a meeting, which means you never had that conversation to begin with. So you absolutely lose some of that. So the efficiencies that you gain from a personal perspective, I think you lose from a corporate perspective, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it it does. And by the way, just to reassure you that you're on the right lines with the hybrid stuff, Zoom, I don't know if you maybe noticed already, but Zoom uh, have recently announced that 
it's back to the office and hybrid model is applicable. So if That's Zoom were doing it, actually, then yeah, yeah I think that kind of says it all. <laughs> but do you know what? At the time, I can remember it was like, I think like Twitter and if it was like came out, like we're never we're cancelling the office, no one's going back to the office. And I can remember thinking, maybe that is a little bit of a hasty decision, like a week into the pandemic or whatever. For sure, for sure. Spike in productivity. But yeah, no, interesting. Moving on to the next question. What characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful cybersecurity professional in today's market? And what do you believe is the most underrated skill these days? This is pre-pandemic potentially, but certainly a lot of those coming out and entering the workforce new at this stage. We don't teach enough about the skill sets, the soft skills of dealing with individuals. There's something to be said for understanding how to work with individuals, understand different perspectives, agree to disagree, all of those things, we have lost a ton of that. Now it's a little bit more, well, you don't agree with me, then clearly you don't know what you're talking about. And you just can't be that way. So from a sales perspective, from a business perspective, I think what we're lacking is people who understand the nuance of, like I said, agree to disagree or let me understand your perspective and let me share mine. And we just don't do a good enough job of learning those types of soft communication skills, I don't think. And I think, I think, the, I, and I do think that these days it's getting worse. I've actually heard that mm-hmm. some of the social media algorithms now will show us more of what we agree with. So it's maybe make it making us even worse in, in that Listen, perspective. And I'm trying to think of what have we talked about and is that going to show up on my Facebook feed later? I don't know. Probably <laughs> yeah. someone's listening for sure. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does it. But yeah, no, I think the training piece is vital. I had it on, I had it on a previous pod, and we were talking about when a customer spent two million, or he might have even said ten million on a, on an EDR defense system, and a pen tester blasts straight through it. And there's a certain way to let an end client know that's happened, and there's a certain right. way not to. But certain right. stuff that seems obvious to some people isn't to others. So the training piece, I would imagine, yeah, is vital, definitely. Training and enabling. So it's interesting for you to say that too, because as I said, I've been in this role for about 40 days or so now. And one of the things that I've said and started to do is help enable our people better, right? Provide training and resources and continuing education for individuals within the company at all levels. So what can we do to do leadership training? What can I do for the person who runs our NetSuite instance? Does it make sense for that individual to go to their conference so they can learn additional things and network with other people and hear other situations? I think that gets lost along the way. And a lot of that got lost in COVID as well, because again, I'm just going to be honest, man, the number of virtual partner kickoffs and sales kickoffs that I attended, I'm not going into every one of those virtual rooms and figure that out. I'm poking around and I'm like, yeah, this is great, but I got other shit to do. So you just, sorry, am I allowed to cuss on here? But you just have to get back to the bare bones of investing in our employees, getting people the enablement and the additional training and coaching that they need. And we're all going to be better for it in the long run. And again, I still say there is a place for the virtual, but it just doesn't replace everything. And I think, I think as well, there's a book I read a long time ago, and it was essentially about the definition of happiness and how to be happy as human beings. And in, in summary, what this book was saying is having a sense of purpose is what makes us happy. And that feeling of moving forward is what makes us happy. It's not necessarily money. It's not necessarily, but it's that forward forward motion and I know from if I talk about in recruitment terms again I know so many people that have sold recruitment agencies that are adamant they're never ever going to work again and <laughs> you look on LinkedIn six months later and they're just yeah, doing they the are. same thing again <laughs> because they just said it was the most depressing six to twelve months of their lives I've even known examples where people have literally stopped for a couple of weeks and then started another agency because they quickly realised that staying at home all day watching uh, watching daytime TV perhaps isn't isn't what's going to make them happy. So it's yeah, I think ultimately that that sense of purpose and I think investing in people as well. I know from a recruitment standpoint, certainly obviously it will help the business, but it will massively help retention rates as well because mm-hmm, when people mm-hmm. feel like they're cared for and you've spent time, money, and effort with them, they're much absolutely. more to stick with you. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so yeah, definitely. Just to flip back a couple of minutes as well, Tori, I know you mentioned about a community you're involved 
involved with called Vistage Worldwide. I'm imagining that's something that's more for not everyone can get involved with and it's more for kind of executives and stuff like that. Is that's that... true. They have CEO yeah. groups and they have key employee groups. I'm a part of the key employee yeah. group and as a CEO, I could move to a CEO group, but I really like my group and they're letting me stay. And that's very true. But what I would suggest is if you're a leader who has the privilege of being able to be in something like that, and there are other groups, certainly make sure that you take that information back and share it with your teams, right? You're learning it so that you can be a better leader. So for example, we have leadership team meetings on Mondays, and that's what I did this past Monday is review some of the things that I'd learned in the previous month's meetings. So I think it's important as a leader who has the advantage of being able to be a part of different types of organizations because of your title or because of where you are in your journey, share that with your teams. Mm -hmm. That's how you can enable them. And then you're all on the same page and using that knowledge that you have to propel your team forward. I think that's so important. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think these days as well, I think anyone with any good reconnaissance skills can find can find these communities online. I know, I know from a recruitment perspective, there is just there's absolutely loads of help these days with stuff like there that. There are, so. and there are even meetup groups and different things like that. There's a ton of things you can get involved in that don't cost anything. And frankly, that's one of the things that's been interesting about the Women in Tech networking event that I have here bi monthly. A lot of the different individuals that attend, they talk about those different things. And so they're growing other little groups in the community by way of attending this one and sharing the other opportunities that they know about. Yeah. Yeah, Okay, cool. Thanks, Tara. I say this most weeks, and I know most people that I get on the pod are more senior people, busy people, and I always promise everyone an hour. So we've already been an hour. So (laughs) I promise this is pretty much the last question, Tara. But career progression... I know from speaking to anyone, whether it's on the client side or the candidate side, I know career progression is just so important for everyone. You've had loads of it over the years. What three tips would you give anyone working in cybersecurity that wants to maximize career progression? So be patient is one of the first things that I would say. A lot of people enter and they want to move up as quickly as possible. And frankly, you do yourself better And you're more successful if you can be patient and really maximize your capabilities in the role that you're in. Also, know when it's not the right fit. There are so many times where a pre-sales engineer, for example, is, oh, I want to move into sales. They're the ones making all the money and I'm the one doing all the work. And in reality, when they get into that sales role, they're like, okay, I did not know it was all this other stuff before I got to the meeting where I felt like I did all of the things. So know your place and be content in that, I think is important. And then understand your true value. It's so interesting. We're in a very interesting economic environment where not only are we in the face of a recession, but we also have some of the highest rates for salaries that we've ever had, certainly in cybersecurity. And I'm trying to decide, am I proud or not proud to say, but we have very high employee retention rates here. And we are not oftentimes the highest to pay. So don't forget the other aspects of your job that make it a place you want to go to or be a part of every day that aren't your salary. Make sure that you enjoy the people you work with. You can stand behind the mission of the organization that you work for and that you feel like you're valued as an employee. Those things are so important. And I've seen multiple examples of people leaving because they got more money to go to another job. And within just a few short months, they're resurfacing, looking either to come back or just saying, actually, that grass that I thought was so green over there is a little bit more brown than I anticipated. So those are the things Definitely. that I would so say. So that it's interesting you mentioned about that. We have a nine-point hiring process, and one of the things is motivation for moving because if someone's been approached by me this year and they just want to move for an extra 510K, it means when another yeah. recruiter approaches them, this time next the year, they're thing. probably going to move again. Exactly. Um, we, we, yeah, we just don't want. Yeah, we just don't want that because it just ruins ruins the client relationships. Another thing as well, it's interesting you say about the money because 
I'm speaking to a very senior candidate at the minute who works for a tech company and I know their pay structure inside out. I know how their stocks best. I know everything about them just from having my ear to the ground. And I know he's going to lose a lot of money by moving now. So I said straight away, it was less advantageous for me, but I said, are you sure you want to move? Because I know you're going to lose loads of money. And he's like, I'm not bothered. Like, I just, I'm not happy with the team. I'm not happy with this. I'm not happy with that. So we always think it's money. And I think the ROI on money is less as it goes up, especially with tax and stuff like that. Things, Other things become more important. So yeah, it's probably, like you say, ultimately, I suppose what you're describing is the company culture that's keeping the retention rates there, not necessarily having yes. to pay people over the odds. That's very true. Yes. I'm proud yeah. to have that type of culture here for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right, great. Listen, I think I think we're about coming to the end. Is there anything I shouldn't have asked you? Sorry, should have asked you that. Anything I should have asked you that I haven't even. Sorry. No, and also yeah. nothing that you shouldn't have asked. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty yeah. much an open book. Anybody who knows me knows I'm pretty much an open book. No, this has been great. Thanks for taking the time. No, it's been great. But Tara, thanks for your time. It's been really nice, and I'll see you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. <laughs>